Hello, and welcome to Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Sarah Hoffman, the Public Information Officer for the ACFE, and today I'm joined by the Inspector General of the United States Small Business Administration, Mike Ware. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's a great honor. Great. As everyone's lives have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, your role specifically as Inspector General for the Small Business Administration has become more important than ever as, I mean, there have been billions of dollars given out in loans to small businesses through both the Paycheck Protection Program and the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. What, out of curiosity, what were some of the first few months like for your office right after the CARES Act was passed? I, I kind of assume it was a little chaotic just because of how quickly everything was happening. Hey, listen, um, chaotic might be a little bit of an understatement. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. It, it was chaotic for certain, but to be honest, not as chaotic as you would think in the first few months. Now, I am the the eternal um, optimist. So I'm the one with the energy that, that, that thinks that we could do it, we could do it no matter what. The staff might have a different take on this, probably. <laughs> but I have to say that it's gotten increasingly chaotic, but not so much in the first few months. And I, I think that was due mainly to um, two things that we do well around here. And, and one is our expertise in SBA's programs and systems, right? This is what we do. And um, the second is our internal planning. And ever since I I came here, the emphasis on repeatable processes. So as you probably know, most folks have been working remotely since, what, mid-March or something? Mm. And fortunately, we had what I would call a very smooth transition. And that was because of the decisions we had made over the years to ensure that we have necessary systems in place. Like for, I, I'll give you an example. Our mobile IT platform, our leave policies, our flexible work options, and some of these flexible work options were tweaked over the years. So when I, when I got here first, folks had one-day telework. So we did a pilot for two days to see how that's working out, and that's what we went with, mainly because um, although we have locations like in 13 different states, we are primarily in D.C. co-located with the agency. So I want to always have a, a presence here, and that's why we did it too. But the folks have done such a great job and of being productive that we'll, we'll be even with the three whenever we get back to whatever normalcy will look like in the future. But uh, it's worked out way better than I expected. And um, uh, another thing internally, we really rallied around that internal expertise that we have. So we developed a plan that revolved around getting timely information to the agency. Because when the money's moving this quickly, that information about what they need to do to make sure that money is safe is critical. They have to get to them real fast. So we were able to do that before the, the issuance of the first loan. We did. We issued two reports based on our already existing body of work, and those reports reports were for for them to like to provide them a preventative method that would address the potential fraud we knew from our experience would take place. So those lesson learned reports were, were issued at that time, and um, I always say that it is very important that people understand that fraud prevention starts at the onset of standing up any program. 
proper controls have to be in place to 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 mitigate risk and to ensure that programs operate as intended. I mean, we all see the press releases detailing the arrests, but a well thought out system of controls goes a long way in terms of mitigating the risk of fraud. So that's why we wanted to get the information into their hands quickly, and that's what our plan um, revolved around. And at, at the same time, we, we, we put out uh, a supplemental audit plan, an oversight plan, detailing to the public and to the agency and, ex and to Congress exactly what we would be looking at. And then I'd be remiss in terms of chaotic, in terms of, in terms of speaking about things that helped us in this environment was that we were able to secure necessary partnerships with internal and external partners. We have we are part of several task forces um, with, with, with U.S. Attorney's offices, with the Department of Justice, and that is one of the primary reasons that you've seen so many early arrests. So um, I don't know, I could go on and on on this in terms of the chaos and in terms of how we pivoted, but maybe that's enough. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it definitely sounds like you believe and like I believe and so many fraud uh, fraud examiners believe, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And it really sounds like you had that strong framework, that ground groundwork already kind of done um, so that it helped in such a such a strange time, unprecedented times. Um, right. Yeah. To just make sure that that prevention was already in place as much yeah. as humanly possible. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that that I've found in like across across government in terms of our approach to how we're providing oversight of these um, funds and in, in terms of how we're catching fraudsters and in terms of how we're preventing fraud. It, I mean, in in my office, in the U.S. Attorney's Office, in the Department of Justice, FBI, FDIC, IRS, all these people we're partnering with, they're so committed to 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 to, to this task. And that definitely makes it easier and makes it work. That's wonderful. Yeah, you you just mentioned how important your relationship with with your office and kind of the the different law enforcement, whether it's local law enforcement or the different agencies, how important those relationships really are. Um, how have you fostered and strengthened those relationships, not just during the pandemic, but beforehand? And how specifically thinking of it from a fraud examiner standpoint, how important do you think it is for certified fraud examiners to work with their local law enforcement with their investigations? Do you have any any tips they might be able to use? Right. So let me start with with, with the first part of that. How how did we foster these relationships? So it's it's a normal part of our business that we partner with other law enforcement entities because we're we're the Small Business Administration, so the, the government-wide contracting goals come under us. So um, that contracting part touches all of government. So in terms of our fraud cases, we work with particularly other um, offices of inspectors general to 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 um, root out fraud in these programs because it touches us, of course, as the head, and it touches everybody else in terms of their contract vehicles. Same thing in the loan programs. So we already had these relationships built up with U.S. attorneys' offices across the country and with federal law enforcement partners because we do most of our work with them. But we do partner on the local state and state, state levels across the United States. And it's right 
and it's kind of like interesting in that because, like I said, most of our work is with the federal law enforcement um, partners. But many times, depending on their size, um, how best to put this, like state and, and local law enforcement agencies do not necessarily have the depth of experience in terms of working complicated fraud investigations involving government contracts, grants, and other federal funding instruments. So our auditors and special agents are seen as experts on those types of investigations because that's, that's their bread and butter on what they do for a living. And it's immediately recognized with those um, collaborations in terms of bringing things to the table. But that's why it's important for CFEs to develop close working relationships and to partner with local law enforcement because of the expertise they bring to the table in their respective areas and what both sides provide to fraud investigations. For us as, as an office, the, the partnership also becomes important on the rare occasions when we want to present one of our cases to local and state attorney's offices for prosecution. And that would happen if, like, uh, AUSA has not accepted the case because it didn't meet their prosecutorial um, guidelines, right? So those state and local law enforcement agencies are used to working with their prosecutors, and that provides us with invaluable assistance and guidance. And um, we've also partnered recently. So a big part of the fraud that we're finding in, the, in these programs is in identity theft. And identities have victims of filing reports with their local police departments. And they're contacting our office to report the fraud and to gather additional information to further their ongoing investigation. So that partnership is taking taking place as well. Uh, let me see. In, in terms of tips, let me get to that part. In terms of tips, also we, along with the Secret Service, placed a fraud alert in FinCEN that many financial um, institutions have used to dig deeper into fraud by recognizing the fraud trends. And um, I could give some examples on that, and I think that would help us in terms of tips, in terms of what to look for. But we asked them to look at newly created or multiple bank accounts that had what, what we refer to as abnormal transaction activity. or these deposits are being made to consumer accounts rather than business accounts, or the the money is coming in and out within like one day. And then definitely with um, green dot account activity and um, transfers to overseas accounts with, with this money coming in. And of course, the large personal expenditures that you read about in the, in the news. Um, but to be honest, we've received much of those tips from fraud professionals at, and CFEs. At, at financial institutions across the nation that they contacted us about what they were seeing. We were just able to put it all together in a neat package for everybody to be able to use. Hmm. Yeah, I was curious, because uh, you're saying you're getting a lot of tips from the financial institutions uh, themselves. Can you walk listeners through the process of, let's say that you have a case of suspected fraud related to stimulus money. What are kind of the loose, what, what happens from, from start to maybe not complete finish, but from where you guys first get involved and what steps you take from there? So I have to tread pretty lightly on this, but let, let, me, let me see if I could um, not get myself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we, so like you said, we're, we're receiving reports of fraud from various sources, right? The banks have been, uh, and the financial institutions have been a big part of that. But we also get 
referrals from the program divisions at, at, at the Small Business Administration, they are experts, of course, in their respective programs. Um, but it's also coming from federal, state, and local law enforcement partners and the prosecutors. And a lot of it is coming through our OIG hotline. But our data analytics unit has been excellent at identifying fraud patterns and trends that has helped us to focus more on a pinpointed approach to investigations. But I'll talk to you about the typical fraud case. And of course, in this case, it's going to just about always begin with identity theft or a fraudulent loan application. So you'll see false statements on applications that could run the gamut from completely making up a business to declaring that their business was in existence for years or the the submission of fraudulent um, supporting documents like fake payroll, fake employees, inflation of payroll. And I, I spoke about ID, ID theft, but this has been major because I, we believe it's because of the widely covered data breaches that have occurred across corporate and governmental entities. So we're seeing a large amount of confirmed instances and have initiated focus work in that area. We're seeing everything from IP address manipulation to fake bank accounts later converted to the blue dot accounts. And um, of course, those processes involve a thorough investigation of all those indicators. But um, it, important, I'd like to get this out there at the very beginning, at the very beginning, when, when, when the CARES Act was first put out, we partnered with the Department of Justice's fraud section to develop what we call the DOJ CARES Act project. And off the top of my head, our, our main coordination efforts involved the DOJ fraud section, um, um, the FBI, IRS, FDIC, and others. Those are the ones I could remember this off the top of my head. But um, the most important aspect of that was the sharing of the PPP data, which resulted in developing cases far faster than is normal. Because as, as you would know, the regular fraud case doesn't even kick off until a year or more after occurrence. And um, yeah, so those would be what we're seeing and how we're working them out. Yeah, you um, you mentioned tips and uh, the you know, the reports of the nations shows tips are consistently like year each each year that the new reports of the nations comes out. Tips are always the number one way and like the most effective way that fraud gets caught, whether it's, you know, tips from employees, tips from vendors, um, all all sorts of different avenues. Um, and your office, I noticed, along with other oversight offices, are strongly encouraging the public to use hotlines and other reporting mechanisms. How much? of an impact, do you think that those hotlines or different reporting mechanisms, how much of an impact it's made on you catching or even just being able to have data and a realistic picture of how much fraud is going on as a result of the pandemic? Right, right. Oh, oh boy. Well, you know, all of us, all of the offices, offices of Inspector General have hotlines that get information from the public, federal employees contractors. And that helps us to further our mission. And it, like, since we're, we're ACFE, we're to prevent and detect fraud, waste, and abuse in those programs. They, these tips through our hotline are of 
critical importance to the success of our ongoing and future criminal investigations and other work. And the main reason for it is it really, when you think about it, it, it serves as a force multiplier, if you will, in terms of detecting fraud. And we'd be nowhere without it. They've been, the tips have been super critical to our early detection of fraud and fraud trends and have allowed us to move quickly to inform the agency in a way for them to shore up their vulnerabilities. And just to provide you some, some context of what we're dealing with as an office, we normally, what, I think if you added up the last year and a half in terms of hotline tips that we received the last year and a half before the pandemic, before the CARES Act, we're, we probably had about 1,500 complaints of tips. Believe it or not, over the past five months alone, we've received over 26,000 online complaints and 42,000 phone calls. Wow. The total has climbed to more than 75,000 complaints. Now, we're, we're, we're in the process of evaluating all the complaints. I had to reassign staff um, to, to the hotline to, to deal with it. And we have a, a system that serves to... Um, like identify the most critical ones and that has been resulting in leading to the faster investigations and to the analysis of fraud schemes and it's it's verifying it's it it, it sort of verifies what we're finding in terms of the data when the data says this is going on and i mean let me see if i could provide an example well the data well, you know what? I'm not sure if I could, could speak about that yet because that one is ongoing, so I'll hold, and I'll just keep it at it verifies what we're finding through the data. Speaking also, you're talking about the data um, and talking about the use of data analytics, and I also saw um, that you had spoken a little bit earlier, I believe in the summer, um, to the media about how you've also been able to use social media in addition to data analytics to uncover fraud in real time. How are you using these types of tools, and is there any certain type of tool, whether it's a certain type of data analytic program or, um, like I mentioned, social media? Or what are you finding to be most effective? So um, let me start with social media just to give some context on that. Um, what we were finding is, is um, early on the data was pointing to the fact that there were a ton of applications coming from single IP addresses, for example. And there may be a reason for that, but there might not be a reason for that. And as the agents and the data analytics group started to pour over social media, they were finding that there were people out there advertising their services, basically saying that the government was giving away money, no real context, and they were teaching you how to go about obtaining these funds illegally, hmm. telling you to show up at certain places. We have 30 laptops, and all you have to do is we'll, we'll walk you through the application process, and then they charge a fee. And that's we started to see that on the back end when the bank started to call us to say, when we ask a secondary question to the person who's coming to immediately withdraw the money, they have no idea what the funds were, you know, what the source of the funds were. 
they said, well, we were just told that if we applied for this, um, maybe we, we get to keep we get to keep eight thousand, and they'll keep two thousand of the ten thousand dollar grant, the initial grant that went out on idle. And that's when that really started to trip the banks, and that's when we started to work with them a lot more closely. So that that type of thing was going on. But in terms of data analytics, we're so fortunate that we made a case before our appropriators and the Office of Management and Budget to have an investment made. Um, into the data analytics um, capability of our office. This was a couple years ago. And man, that's a timely investment because of the income and loan data and the weaknesses that we're helping to identify in SBA's internal controls. But the data matching tools and authorities, they have been critical for us. So the way it's working, we currently use a data matching tool in coordination with the Department of Treasury or IRS data and all... You know, and of course, we're analyzing plenty of data from SBA systems. This is what has allowed us to focus on the most egregious fraud and to maximize our effectiveness up front. Because like, like I say, this is moving in warp speed in comparison to what normal investigative efforts look like. And um, I think you asked about um, like some, um, some examples or so. Um, I could talk about a case or two that has been... Um, because they've been pretty public. But one was where someone got over a million dollars in PPP funds. And upon our reviews, we, we found that, or the investigation found that he, he actually bought a Lamborghini with it, Rolex watches, and had many visits to the strip clubs <laughs> and using the money. So I don't think they counted as employees. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Another one, with the, the most recent one I think we've announced, or DOJ has announced um, with us, is um, the rest of the person that had over $6 million in PPP loans for companies with Game of Thrones names. <laughs> Nothing to do with saving employee jobs. Might have saved a dragon or two, <laughs> but definitely didn't, didn't save employee jobs. And, uh, yeah, so the data analytics function is, is helping to drive this type of work. And they work closely with the audit teams and with investigations to help improve overall efficiency and effectiveness. And uh, it, right now it's being used to get a higher quality audit and investigative evidence and better co um, correlating audit and investigative approaches to risk as well. And we're, we're just at the tip of the iceberg on this. Much, much more will follow. Yeah, I'm sure that the... I don't know if fallout's the right word, but yeah, that this is just going to continue for years and years to come just with the sheer volume of data that you have to go through and the amount of money. I mean, it's a staggering amount of money that needed to get injected into the economy, but just now taking that time to untangle everything, it's right. it'll it'll be a while. I'm sure that you will be quite busy for quite a long time after this. Oh, yeah. We definitely anticipate that. But we do anticipate, hopefully, <laughs> that um, our work will result in, in um, changes in terms of the control environment at SBA that would allow, let's say we have a, a next tranche of um, funds that comes out that allows, um, let's, let's just say, a better control environment. Yep. Hmm. Um, I've noticed that you've been pretty transparent. Like I mentioned, I have read articles that um, you've contributed quotes to um, 
since the pandemic. And I know that there have been hearings. There are the reports that you mentioned. It seems like you and your office have been pretty transparent about the amount of data that you've collected, the amount of fraud that you've been seeing and having reported to you. And I know that sometimes just the perception of detection is enough to deter people from committing fraud. And that's why I know we recommend making, if you're working at an organization, to have it be well known that you do you know, yearly audits, that you have external auditors come in just so that people are aware, hey, I, if I want to try and get away with something, it's going to get caught. Um, how important do you think that you and your office being so transparent in this time has also contributed to to helping deter fraud or, you know, in, like I said, increase the perception of detection? Exactly what you just discussed was what went into our, our thought process in terms of transparency. You know, transparency is one of the, the, the key hallmark marks of any Office of Inspector General. And I don't know who said it, but it's been said that sunshine is the best disinfectant and electric light is the best policeman, right? <laughs> and we certainly believe that here. Before the first loan went out the door, we informed the public and our stakeholders of potential fraud and scam schemes. We issued a fraud alert before the first loan went out and published it on our website and on social media. We engaged with stakeholders such as um, NAGLE, the National Association of um, Guaranteed Government Lending, to share the fraud and scam alert broadly to SBA's lending partners. And we also engage the media. And this is why we're so, we're always encouraging people to report fraud, waste, and abuse to our hotline. Like I said, that becomes a force multiplier to our efforts. You also have all the press releases that continue to come. And I was recently, I mean, all these days run into each other, so I believe it was three weeks ago now, that I was part of the Department of Justice um, National Press Conference where um, we marked the 50th arrest um, so far. And by the time we were up there speaking, the number was up to 57. And we have imperative data that tells us that this works. I, I can't get into specifics too much on this, but let's just say that a secondary follow-up of suspicious actions results in many fraudsters walking away from the money. Just a secondary question based on, 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 um, on data and on the fraud schemes, what the financial institutions are finding um, in partnering with us. Let's ask a follow-up question, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the folks don't show up for the money anymore. So that's what that's what this light does. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I feel like it seems so simple, but it can be such a deterrent just to just ask ask a couple more questions, and they're just not fraudsters aren't necessarily prepared for that. They think I'm just going to do what I think needs to be done to to fraudulently get this money and just it it's so interesting to me that it's that simple that yep. kind of turns them away with the potential of new stimulus money through the cares act or any possible upcoming legislation i know that you know we're still very much in the thick of the pandemic and i don't think that things will go right back to normal or that we won't see um you know that still seeing 
negative impacts on the economy. So people will still need stimulus money for probably years to come. Um, with potential, though, of new stimulus money, will your office be able to affect some of the control issues that arose from the initial spending in spring? Um, well, we sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and that, 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 that is a critical piece of what IG shops are supposed to be doing. Now, we, we all know SBA was given a tremendous role in the nation's response to mitigate the, the, this economic impact that, that of COVID-19. I, I, what folks don't know is over a trillion dollars in lending authority was made available to SBA through public law. And in fairness, SBA has a long-standing challenge, and we've, we've written this every year for, at least since I've been here, um, as a top management challenge for the agency. And that challenge is speeding aid to people in desperate need while balancing against a proper control environment. But by the time you read one of our reports, by the time one of our reports is made public, there have already been many meetings with the agency, with us, detailing what's coming and what needs to be done right now. In some instances, SBA has done a great job pivoting to shore up those vulnerabilities. And this is what we're really um, after. But between those internal meetings, because some, some of this, the, the timing on it is so critical. When we find a new fraud schemes, keeping in mind the fraudsters do what fraudsters are going to do. So it's going to be new fraud schemes coming up. And when we identify them, we try to immediately notify the agency of where their vulnerabilities are so they can shore it up. But between those meetings and, and with our Hill briefings, um, that's the most critical way we have to affect the, the mitigation of fraud risk. And we've seen it happen before, so I'm both help, hopeful and expectant that changes will be made. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like just with everything that has happened with the pandemic that not to say that you know you can predict the future and I don't think that anyone could have predicted exactly what was going to happen you know with the pandemic back even in in January um, but it seems like just because of your knowledge of the importance of controls and the importance of uh, having the data analytics tools and stuff that you were able to start in a better place when all of this this unexpected stuff came out. So not that you were uh, uh, could see the, into the future, but it, it sounds like uh, just from your experience, you knew how to set yourself up in the best possible way. Right. So it, it wasn't it wasn't like we could see into the future, but we definitely knew because um, S SBA's um, disaster program, for example, and matter of fact, and the flagship 7A program, they both have similar challenges except with the disaster program, and that's the one that covers the, the IDLE um, program, Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. What That's a direct lending program by SBA, by the way. And what happens um, with, 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 with them is that they're tasked with getting this money out to people who've suffered disasters, normally hurricane, fires, tornadoes. They, they, this is what SBA does. So we knew what controls needed to be in place going in because of the challenges that we identified in the past. Remember, Harvey Ir Irma Maria wasn't that long ago. 
So we knew with this much money that dwarfed by far Harvey's, Ir Irma and Maria's lending authority, dwarfed it. Something like maybe 15 times it or something like that. We knew how those problems were going to present themselves and exactly what needed to be done to mitigate the fraud risk. Yeah, with um, you mentioning that you already had kind of an idea of with the emergency uh, situation, kind of what to anticipate. Are there any big lessons that you've seen or so far or that you've learned during this pandemic? And I mean, the sheer amount of money, the the sheer amount of applicants. Have there been any like very shining, obvious kind of like big, broad things that you feel like you've learned that you definitely want to keep in mind and apply moving forward past um, past us dealing with just the pandemic itself? Right. So, and just 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 continuing with the discussion that we were just having, I can't say enough how important it is for a strong system of controls to be in place prior to releasing large sums of money. We understand that speed is critical when people are desperate. We understand that. But when you sacrifice controls for speed, everybody loses. It, it, it's way more work on the back end. And what we've learned, and which, which we, we, we know, but is how do you get that message across in a way that tips the scale a little bit towards the, the risk mitigation part. But that has to be at the forefront of everyone's thinking. People feel that we can just go run after the money after it's gone. And that may be true to a certain extent, but it is the absolute worst possible way to think of fraud oversight. All CFEs know that the best deterrent to fraud is a solid system of controls that are placed up front. And, and the, the, another thing that I've, that, that I've learned is how critical data analytics is to us in, in today's environment. So I would strongly recommend the wide use of data analytics here throughout the loan application process, which assists in mitigating risk. Um, and even once the money has been disbursed, the data analytics has continued to play a critical role to uncover the fraudulent loan applications and to provide information leading to the identification of the fraudsters and the identification of the schemes that they're using. Yeah. And those, those are the two big um, takeaways. Yeah. I mean, it makes that makes perfect sense. And I feel like everything that you've just explained about, you know, tackling this Again, I, I know it's a little bit overused right now, but, you know, we're in unprecedented times and it's an unprecedented programs that have been needed and trying to get a handle on that. It just seems like the the main takeaway I feel like I've gotten from this this discussion is just really being prepared, really having an eye on the on the future and being very aware of kind of predicting weak spots or places that you could kind of be, increase different controls before you actually need it. It's like having a, you know, a fire extinguisher in multiple rooms in your house because you don't want to suddenly have a house fire and think to yourself, oh, I need to go out and buy a fire extinguisher. <laughs> right, right. And in, in this case, it doesn't even have to be 
something that's so complicated, like we were talking about earlier, one follow-up question as part of your process. If it's if 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 the type if the fraud or if the loan application falls into certain red flag buckets, like 250 um, loans processed through a single IP address, like um, bank account that numbers that have been changed um, after it's been approved. I mean, yes, there may be a reason for that, but more than likely there's not. <laughs> Simply ask one follow-up question. Simply have a secondary review process in place. Not that complicated. Yeah, but it. I feel like sometimes it's the most simple fixes that somehow elude people. Like they, they think it's much more complicated when it when it actually isn't. Right. That does it for my questions. Thank you so much, Mike, for talking with us today. It's been really, really interesting to hear your perspective as you and your office have been tackling all these unique challenges. And thank you for listening. You can find this podcast and all of the ACFE Fraud Talk podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. This is Sarah Hoffman, signing off.